Hello, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Joe Lupton, uh, and not with me this week is Bruce Kastman. Bruce is off at our Scandi Outlook conferences, so I imagine about now he's probably playing in the snow with some reindeer. Uh, but fortunately, we have Mike Hansen with me, my colleague on the Global Economics team. Hi, Mike. Hey, Joe. Since the start of the year, we've been um, kind of trimming the the recession, the near-term recession risk that's been on the back of uh, what had been better data in the U.S. We revised up the fourth quarter uh, tracking there. Uh, we've been feeling better about other parts of the world as well. I mean, I, I think this week we got a lot of good data out of China and Europe. Um, and it kind of begs the question, should we be trimming kind of downside risks further, or are there other things that we should be worrying about? So, Mike, let's start with, uh, actually, let's just go around the horn. I think we've got, uh, you know, Europe, China, U.S., and I'm going to, I actually want to start with the China news. Um, that really blew the doors off, right? I mean, uh, we've been expecting, we know at some point China's going to rebound here, but the data were just a lot stronger than we expected. We thought there was going to be some weakness from the, uh, you know, the rise of infections, and we didn't get that. Um, you know, what's what's your take on these data? And actually, why don't you just kind of summarize the data and what we learned? Yeah, I mean, I think it's even it's even stronger than that, right? Because the, the headline data showed... Um, not a, a contraction in the fourth quarter as we were expecting, but actually pretty uh, pretty robust growth. We uh, estimate three percent annualized for the for the fourth quarter. That led us to uh, uh, revise up our growth for the first quarter a little bit as well. And there's obviously this question about kind of what how the dynamics are going to play out. But on net, we we brought up growth uh, a decent amount. We're now looking for five six for the year versus four four. Uh, some of that is base effects, and some of that is in adding to the first quarter. We made no changes to the out quarters. What was really interesting, of course, was some of the underlying activity data for December was also notably stronger than, uh, than expected, particularly retail sales, but also IP and fixed asset investment. They all came in quite strong. And what makes it interesting slash maybe puzzling is this against a backdrop where we thought that a lot of the underlying data, in addition to just kind of the news on the ground about rising infections, was pointing to something that was not nearly as strong. Right. So uh, we had some interesting analysis from our China team that said that basically that if you look at what the activity implied growth in the economy was versus what was actually reported, it's kind of the widest we've ever seen. Right. So that yeah. was a so, notable uh, lot, lot of skepticism on on the China data and, and a lot of conversations around this. I mean, I, I on the one hand, I, I actually find it fairly unbelievable, uh, you know, but I, I, I think I quickly move away from that kind of skepticism. And I just make the broader point, which is that regardless of how weak it got, regardless of what China is going to be willing to report, uh, the point here is that, you know, one fifth of the global economy is going to be kind of really bouncing back after three years of lockdowns. And, you know, that might, wh whether it comes in January, February, March, who knows, but I think if you want to look through that period, as we look to at some point in the second quarter, things should be uh, moving up uh, quite quite well, uh, regardless of what these kind of near term kind of the noise around the data is telling us. Now, switching gears to to Europe, um, you know, I mean, here too, we've been kind of this is just continued marking to market, and it's been moving in one direction for the last four or five months, right? Yeah, we uh, we finally came around to saying that we no longer see a recession in Europe. Uh, is the bottom line there. And, and that's been signaled for quite some time in the PMIs. 
uh, to a limited extent and some other available data because the European data lags a fair bit. So it's not that we had a lot of clarity, but there were certainly a number of hints, particularly in the survey data, that were suggesting that the economy uh, was not likely to be as weak as expected. And it's against, of course, a backdrop where it looks like the natural gas prices have come down quite dramatically. Um, you've got uh, a much more mild winter. You have you know, pretty sizable stockpiles of natural gas. So you know, all of that has is, is been pretty favorable. And so it, it, in some sense, it finally got uh, you know, recognized in our forecasts, right? So as opposed to a 5 tenths contraction in the first quarter, we're looking for a 1% annualized increase in the euro area in the first quarter. Uh, we marked up growth marginally thereafter. Um, right. So, you know, and I would just add to the to the European picture beyond the near term. Um, you know, it is worth noting that our commodities team actually not only reduced our forecast for near term TTF prices, but even into twenty four we lowered those because I think there was some concern among those in the know on commodities and energy is that maybe winter 24 is where you should be worried because Europe will need to rebuild inventories in a world with no Russian supplies. That was a legitimate concern. Even that seems like it's no longer a concern. So the, the I think this has been a, a very big sea change in the way we're looking at Europe, both near and medium term. I think the long-term challenges on Europe needing a new business model without strong China growth and without cheap energy, that's still there. But this has been a, a pretty good week in terms of that reassessment. Um, you know, so I put those together and global GDP is probably because we revised Europe, we revised up China for this quarter. Um, global GDP is tracking what now? So for the uh, for the first quarter, we're looking for one eight, which is up from one one or one two, I think it was previously, uh, which is better for sure. Uh, and the fourth quarter also is tracking uh, six or seven tenths better as well, uh, roughly similar, I think one seven for the fourth quarter. But both of those are obviously below potential for the global economy, right? It's not like the global economy is strong. It's just it's obviously looking better than what we had thought earlier. And to your point at the beginning, um, you know, that stuff at least suggests that the risk of fumbling into recession in the near term has, has gone down from, from those sources of, of concern, right? We had thought that as we crossed into the year, China was going to be fairly weak still and that Europe was going to fumble into recession. And neither of those stories now are, are nearly anywhere near as concerning as they were before. So is everything rosy or is there anything to yeah. worry about here? Everything's rosy, except for the fact that U.S. data this week was absolutely terrible. But other than that, everything's completely good. Yes. Exactly. So yeah. let's talk about the U.S. That's a nice segue to the U.S. data. Boy, it was a it was a disappointing, uh, also a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, why don't we right. start with the um, the consumer spending data? Because I think, uh, in contrast to China, this moved in the other direction. That's right. Uh, it it came in uh, notably weaker. We're down now about a percent or so on the month in both November and December with revisions, at least on the headline number. The control number was also though down pretty significantly as well. Uh, and it, it certainly is pointing to uh, a pretty meaningful loss in momentum as the quarter progressed in the fourth quarter. We did start out the quarter relatively strong. We're still tracking, I think, around 3% annualized real consumer spending. But I, I think that you know the saving grace there is the stuff that we don't get to observe really in services because the good side data that we got this week for December was pretty bad. It's yeah, done. although I'm sure you'll be quick to note, because uh, we were discussing earlier, that uh, the little bit of service information we did get in that retail sales report was also pretty, also bad. pretty ugly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, right. This is, by the way, for, for viewers, this is the restaurant services going out to eat. Yeah, eating and so drinking establishments were down. 
nine tenths on the on the month, which was not exactly yeah. encouraging. So yeah, right. So. I mean, I, I I don't know about your take, Mike. I mean, I, I, I actually I do know your take, uh, but I, I mean, I think we're both in the same camp that we we kind of want to fade the the December news. There were some weather related issues, obviously the last fashion of uh, economic forecasters, <laughs> weather and seasonals, but uh, there was legitimate weather issues going on there. I just think the fundamentals are are going to be sh- strong here in a world where labor markets are holding up, and indeed the claims numbers continue to move lower. Those that was a positive in the U.S. data this week. Uh, yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we also get, I, I think starting this month, we get that cost of living adjustment, $106 billion. That's going to be a, a bit of a boost. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the consumer pop here in January. And maybe the other last bastion of a forecaster is revisions. Maybe see December revised up a little bit. So um, disappointing news there for sure, but I'm willing to look through that. Uh, Mike, the other area I think is softness is more of a global point, which is just global industry is is really kind of sucking wind here, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been flagging that risk for a little while because the PMIs had flighted early. Um, the incoming industrial production data seems to be broadly confirming that, as well as certainly the trade data from Asia, which is another kind of a bit of the leading edge indicator in that. That also has looked pretty weak uh, in the, uh, you know, the waiting months of last year. Um, and, and survey data, the limited survey data we've gotten you know, for January, uh, Broadly, we've got some survey data for the U.S. and for Japan suggests the manufacturing sector isn't looking to turn around quickly, unfortunately. So I think that's a, a scenario where you're likely to have effectively a contraction in the, in the manufacturing sector, at least in the manufacturing production, um, uh, coming into the year, even if consumers manage to get some lift from things like strong labor market and, and some easing of inflation and things like that. Um, you're probably looking at a scenario where industry is going to be drawing down inventory as opposed to running on all cylinders. Yep, exactly. And I and then I think that sets you up for a better kind of springtime if that if that tracks, which is is that is that is our forecast. And I think we're we're still kind of in that in that realm. So I think just on the on the growth side, it feels like kind of Europe was a lot stronger. We kind of fade a, a, a bit of that. Um, Europe is legitimately kind of looking better. The U.S. is softer, but we also fade that. So I think when we balance all this out, we're really not changing those risks too much. We think there's you, global economy seems to be doing better, but um, uh, you know, still slight risk, fifteen percent of a near-term recession. Now let's let's shift gears, Mike, to the to central banks here, and a um, lot of interesting things on that front as well. I think let's start with the Fed, where most people are probably interested in. Um, you know, the Fed speak uh, was kind of uniformly pointing to kind of another hike coming, maybe uniformly pointing to rates staying elevated, but I thought there was some nuance. Why don't you, which which of the many speeches this week kind of jumped out at you? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I would say that the you had a couple of Fed speakers relatively early on, a week or two ago, signal strongly they wanted to do 25, including some of the incoming voters. Um, and then you didn't have uh, anything explicit until I would argue today, where you had Waller say he favored 25 from the board. But you know, you had speeches yesterday from Brenner and Williams that were both hawkish overall, um, but kind of open-ended. Um, so I mean, maybe we're approaching a transition point for the Fed, or maybe we're starting to see a little bit of a divergence between the hawks and the doves. There were certainly some hawks over the last couple of weeks who have still said they want to see 50, they want to go, you know, at the next meeting they want to go. Like Harry, who is a voter, wants to go to like. He said at least 5.4%, if not higher. So, you know, there's a handful, I think, of hawkish members who maybe got a lot of attention initially 
that were kind of pushing that that broader agenda. But I mean, I've been thinking for a while now, Powell pretty strongly signaled in the December press conference that 25 is where the committee was leaning. And I kind of feel like that's sort of been uh, both what the market has been you know, using as its kind of starting point, but also what the majority of, of, of speakers have either explicitly or someone implicitly backed, right? Um, so I, I always argue that things are kind of cemented around that, but I'm not sure the uncertainty there was all that high. I think the question really is going to be as we go forward, are we going to be going above five? Our call obviously is for them to stop at five. Um, what scenario is going to make them go above five and how much? And then, of course, the market is pricing them to be easing in the back half of the year. And Fed officials, at least to now, have been kind of banging the table. I mean, Powell was pretty insistent that they do not see any scope for cutting this year. And that may be something that, depending on how the data evolves, of course, could change. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I, I would have, I would summarize. I think there are three things that jumped out of my mind. One is they're, they're definitely growing more comfortable with 25 basis points. Right. The step down in the pace and that, you know, you can yeah, I think you're right to point out Powell was signaling that. But, you know, they, they needed to see those inflation reports coming in. And now they're a lot more comfortable uh, with that. Um, you know, the second thing is I think they still are pushing back against that market view. Of, of cuts coming later this year. But the third thing, and this was maybe me just reading into the Brainerd speech, there was that kind of increasing open-mindedness of, hey, maybe there is a path to the soft landing a bit more, right? She was talking about transitory forces. I mean, I, I didn't think you were allowed to use that word anymore, but she was talking about transitory inflation forces. And she was talking about, I, I thought very interesting because we've been pushing the profit cycle very hard in our research. And she really dived into that, talking about margin compression being a part of the story, prices coming down even if wages stay high. Very interesting development to me. No, so I think that's fair. I, I think, though, if, if we're being honest, the inflation data is probably, if anything, is surprised in a direction to support that. But the labor market data really hasn't at this point, right? I mean, the labor market data has eased, but I would argue probably not even enough to make most Fed officials comfortable. And maybe, you know, Brainerd is a little more on the dovish side. Obviously, as vice chair, she's trying not to uh, be misrepresentative of the committee. But I think that, you know, her views have skewed in that direction. It is interesting to your point that she opened the door to, to think about alternative ways of, of conceptions having the labor market. But the simple fact of the matter is that labor market has not, I would argue, at least the criteria the Fed has put out to this point has not cooled enough to make them comfortable. Yeah. And, and as I mean, what, 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 What's going to kind of be quite important, just to remind viewers, and you well know, is that ECI report will be very important to be watching when that, that I think it comes out, is it the day of the January meeting? January 31st. So it's, the, it's January 31st. So it's the first day of the two-day Fed meeting. The Fed makes a decision on February 1, right? So, uh, so and, and we know the Fed has reacted, or maybe by some people's interpretation, overreacted to the ECI report in the past. So I totally agree that that is going to be a key number for how Fed officials are going to think about things, but probably more the communication than the vote per se. Maybe we get a dissent, who knows, but yeah. Okay. And then let's just, I, I want to touch on, I know we're running a little long, but I want to touch on both the ECB and, and the BOJ. Let's just quickly, the ECB, if the Fed had kind of nuance, growing comfort with pausing, there was no kind of nuance uh, from the ECB by the time we got to the end of the week, was there? Yeah, there was debate because there was one of these sources type stories earlier in the week that suggested there was support for stepping down to 25. When, if remember, um, you had Lagarde kind of clearly say, and, and really surprised the markets in saying there was going to be a, effectively a series of 50 basis point rate hikes that had to happen. She returned at the end of the week and reiterated that point. And so that kind of, you know, put the kibosh yeah. on that debate for the time being. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, very clear kind of hawkish comments right. from the ECB this week. And we are looking for 250s and then a 25 before they come to a pause early, there. Yeah, um, quarter, yeah. The other meeting that actually was uh, of high interest to, to market participants this week was the BOJ, who um, got very excited that there was going to be another adjustment in the YCC. We we did not think that was going to be the case. No, uh, we and not. we were right. right. <laughs> and we got it right. Yeah. So what, what do you think was going on there? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the market, the, the market, it, there's a little bit of self-fulfillment uh, to it, right? The market was putting pressure on the BOJ and thinking that pressure would force the BOJ to kind of capitulate. And, and to some extent, the fact that the BOJ moved in December, I guess, got markets hopes up that maybe this was the beginning of the ball rolling downhill. Um, the, the house view here has always been that they're looking for the opportune time to do it, that they're not in a big rush. Um, and that, you know, they aren't able to hold YCC forever. Uh, the next move we did pull forward to kind of middle of this year for the even further widening of the band, which is a de facto end of, of YCC. But for example, you know, changes to the negative interest rate policy are still at least another year off in our view, right? So um, I, I think it's an evolution of the view around kind of the the sort of backing into a normalization almost by the, the BOJ in some sense, right? I think the market was anticipating that, that was going to be happening more quickly, or maybe they could force it to happen and and Kuroda was pretty clear that that's not, you know, they put in a couple of measures to try to basically sort of smooth some of the issues with the you know, market functioning liquidity, right? Um, and I think we've been much more biased to viewing this as, well, is the beginning of normalization. A lot of these are kind of more technical adjustments in their current form, right? Yeah, although I think also just to say, a mission accomplished on inflation, right? Right. Well, yes, the outlook is clearly looking better, right? Um uh, particularly on the inflation front. And so that's helping as well. I, I don't think the BOJ is convinced, at least my reading of what our Japan team is saying, is they're not 100% convinced that they've crossed that threshold, but they are growing more confident. Yes, that is true. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the BOJ did revise up their core inflation forecast th this year to, I believe, 1.8. So, I mean, boy, that's they haven't seen that in a while, right? Yeah, I think it was the 2024 forecast was 1.8. But anyway... Uh, yeah, yeah. One, one, one. I mean, there's, one, there's six, all these different. Eight. Yeah, there's all these different core <laughs> numbers. We, we don't have time to go into all the measures of the uh, no, we'll DOJ core measures. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. well, let's wrap it up there. So, a lot of interesting things going on uh, in the global economy, both on the growth side as well as on the the central bank side. Uh, next week, uh, the kind of key data releases I think will be the flash PMIs that will be having out for. The U.S., Euro area, U.K., Japan, I think the broad message there is going to be probably still somewhat cautionary. The surveys have been on the on the weaker side, particularly for manufacturing. That's probably what I'm going to be looking at more um, and with an idea that maybe services are holding up a, a bit better. I think the broad message from the global PMIs has been bending not, but not breaking. And so that's that's consistent with our forecast. So we'll be keeping an eye on those. And of course, we get... The uh, fourth quarter GDP report for the U.S., uh, the advanced release, that we'll, we're looking for a 2.5% there. So uh, we will be uh, discussing that and I'm sure much more here on JP Morgan TV.